0: Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Thank you for joining us. My name is Nate Huss, and I am stoked you are tuning in to our teaching of the week. If you are new, so glad you found us. If you haven't already and would like to learn a little bit more about us, jump over to restorationaz.org. All right, let's grab our Bibles and dive into this week's teaching. I took,
1: uh, I took my, my son, Ellis. He's seven. I took him to the, uh, the Suns game last night, which was a blast. We had a great time. And everybody in downtown Phoenix was rooting for the Diamondbacks. It was glorious. I took him to a Suns game last year, and it was a playoff game. And I'm like, I don't know when we're going to be able to do this again. So I kind of spoiled him. And he looks kind of cute. So the people around us are like, oh, we don't know if this kid ever gets to go to Suns games. So they're like, people are giving him all kinds of things, like shirts and uh, all kinds of like the little hand glove things. So he's like, oh, and then I went and I got him ice cream. And so we, we paid a fair amount of money to go to the Suns game. He gets there, he goes, dad, can we get some stuff? <laughs> this is kind of the stuff, bud, like. We get to watch the game. And so finally I gave in. They they gave shirts at the game. I'm like, you got a shirt. I'm like, this is great. That was free, so I don't have to buy anything else. We get to like the second quarter. He's like, but dad, can we go get some stuff? And I'm like, what do you want? He really wanted ice cream. So I went and got him ice cream. I decide, ad, decided after this, because like a water bottle there is like nine bucks, I was like, buddy, we got to reset some expectations after this. If I take you to the Suns game again, the Suns game is the thing, because I'm going to go broke very fast buying the stuff for you. Expectations and uh, anything in our lives are, are really important. I think we can actually think of expectations as a sort of silent relationship and dream killer if we're if we're not aware of what our expectations are and anything we do like things we desire visions we have relationships if we don't have awareness in the background maybe without our our recognition even expectations kill things when I was a kid, I remember we went on a cruise one year and all of a sudden in this room, these really nice people brought this fancy cart filled with food and drinks and I was very happy with these very nice people because instantly I laid my eyes on what I what I assumed was my favorite candy and it looked like these little like blackberry, raspberry look-alike things, but they were candy and just super delicious and great. They don't make good things like that anymore. It's all, like, organic and has to be real colors and doesn't actually taste good. But candy used to actually taste good, and so I was excited, and I sprinted to this fancy cart, I beat my sister there so that I could take all of those because I wasn't selfish at all. And I threw them in my mouth and I ate them really quick and they were the most disgusting, horrendous candy I've ever had in my life. So I got what I deserved because then my mother looked at me mockingly and informed me that that wasn't what I thought it was, it was caviar. And it was disgusting. (laughs) I did not get what I expected in that moment. In little things, if your expectations are off, you'll find disappointments, but the more substantial and significant the topic is, the more influential and substantial the impact our expectations will have on us. Think about this, again, like I said, in a relationship, in a workplace. It's interesting though, I don't think we often think about our expectations until they're unmet. Too low of expectations will hold us back from something good that we think won't exist there but it actually does. We don't expect it to be there so we don't pursue it. Too high of expectations will actually cause us to quit on something good because we think the grass is greener on the other side and so we leave one thing and we go to the next. That could be a job, that could be a, a marriage, a relationship, a city, an opportunity, anything. And our, our expectations are too high and so we leave one thing because we think the other will be best, whether that's accurate or not. Our our expectations, too, are always driven by two things, the past, either our own or uh, the picture of a past that someone else has painted for us, or our expectations are driven by the, the future we perceive to happen. Our expectations are almost never, though, driven by the present moment. And again, like I said, very seldom do we actually think about what we're expecting, If I am talking to a couple about marriage or or really anybody about anything in life, it almost always comes down to expectations. If the husband and wife are not aligned in terms of expectations about anything, any arena in marriage, there's going to be issues. It's just pretty simple. But we often don't take time to consider what our expectations actually are. We we see this play out in the, the book of Ezra. And the book of Nehemiah that we're going to be studying over the next, uh, I don't know how long actually to be honest, a couple months, we'll see, I kind of just play it by ear. But expectations are a really uh, important theme and so we'll dive into that in a minute, just a little bit of, of context for you. God had redeemed his people. They were captives. They were slaves in Egypt, oppressed, uh, abused, broken. And he miraculously speaks to the global power, leader of the day, and Pharaoh in Egypt. And convinces him to let his people go. And not only to let them go, but God wins this uh, immense war for them. And as they're leaving, the Egyptians give them all of their valuables, or a lot of their valuables, to go and build this whole new kingdom and this new land that God was giving. It was miraculous. He brought food out of nowhere. He parted seas. He defeated armies again and again and again. God was miraculously powerful and good to his people. And then they didn't really return the favor. God's people heard him. And they chose not to listen. God's people had made a commitment to Yahweh God, and then they broke it again and again. They made alliances with people God told them would harm them in the long run. They embraced the the sexual nature of the, the nations around them instead of the guidance God had given. They overworked themselves and others. Even though God had said, you just saw that as slaves, and so he, he put in laws to protect them from overworking, and then they boasted about all that they had, and eventually the people they boasted to came back and took everything they had and took them and destroyed their temple and their land, and they were taken as, as exiles, as captives, and God told them that a, a period of 70 years would go by, and it did And we can kind of maybe not grasp that, but if you think about it, if we were like all taken right now in this moment from Prescott and our homes and everything was destroyed and it'd be for 70 years, that would mean almost all of us would be dead. And so they were told that almost all of them would die. Yet as the generations grew up somewhere else, their parents would tell them about their land and their home and the way of life that could have been and at one point was. And so this intrigue and this this draw and this allegiance and this hope was built for them and that's where we we pick up in Ezra chapter one. I'm not gonna put it on the screen but I'm gonna go ahead and, and read it for us. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The Lord put it into the mind of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and to put it in writing. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house at Jerusalem and Judah. Okay, a couple pretty substantial things have happened. First of all. The word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. That was just a really good sentence. When God speaks something, it will become a reality. Now the issue for us is that it most likely isn't going to become a reality when we want it to and in the way we want it to, but it will happen. Then we read that the Lord put it into the mind of the global leader of that day, in essence, the man in charge of the world. God just was like, hey, I'm just going to put it in his mind real quick that he's going to provide for my people. That's pretty good news that, that, that God can do that. Cyrus says, "Whoever is among his people, may his God be with him. And when we go to Jerusalem and Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, let every survivor, wherever he lives, be assisted by the men of that region with silver, gold, goods and livestock, along with a free will offering from the house of God in Jerusalem. So the family leaders of Judah and Benjamin, along with the priests and Levites, everyone God had motivated, prepared to go up and rebuild the Lord's house in Jerusalem. All their neighbors supported them with silver articles, gold, goods, livestock, and valuables, in addition to all that was given as a freewill offering. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. King Cyrus of Persia had them brought out under the supervision of Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah, this was the inventory, 30 gold basins, 1,000 silver basins, 29 silver knives, 30 gold bowls, 410 various silver bowls, and 1,000 other articles. The gold and silver articles totaled 5,400. Shesh Bazar brought all of them when the exiles went up from Babylon to Jerusalem. Just take a moment to take that in for a second. The almighty God of the universe, whose people had been exiled, He speaks to the global leader of the day and like he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, this leader then paved a path for them to return and not only that, as they're leaving, their neighbors, their former enemies give them an abundance of riches to go rebuild what was lost. There's this really strong connection and parallel between the first exodus and now they're exiting from exile to go back to their promised land. I'm going to fast forward now, and we're going to just skip right to the end of Ezra. I'm going to go to Ezra chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 3 through 5. That's how it began. We're going to kind of see how it ends, and then the rest of the series, we'll spend our time in the middle. Ezra, a leader of the people in this journey, says this. When I heard this report, I tore my tunic and my robe. I pulled out some of the hair from my head and beard, and I sat down devastated. Everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me because of the unfaithfulness of the exiles, while I sat devastated until the evening offering. At the evening offering, I got up from my humiliation with my tunic and robe torn. Then I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to Yahweh, my God. In a similar timeline, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah actually used to be one until they were, were separated further down the road. Nehemiah, who, who existed at the same time as Ezra, they were both leading parts of this return. He says this in Nehemiah 13, 25. He has a different approach to the whole hair loss thing. I rebuked them, cursed them, beat some of their men, and pulled out their hair. I forced them to take an oath, which is always a great idea. It's always really effective. If someone's not listening to you, what you do is you force them to take an oath after you pull out their hair. I forced them to take an oath before God and said, you must not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters as wives for your sons or for yourselves. How in the world do we get, like, in not that long from God doing all of these miracles, all of this expectation, all of this good, this return to their homeland, to a whole lot of hair pulling. And Ezra's style is to pull out his own hair in misery, and Nehemiah's style is to pull out other people's hair. I prefer Nehemiah's, personally, if I had to pick between the two. The the question becomes here, what happened in the middle? What happened in between all of the the goodness that God was doing, his, his power, his miracles, And then the hair pulling and the loss, how does that happen? And what I would say as you read both of these texts is that it has a whole lot to do with expectations. What we, we see here in the middle is that wrong expectations led to ridiculous pendulum swings. And it's something we're frequently faced with as well. Here's what what God's people in this moment expected as they saw these parallels from the first exodus. I think they thought that once they got there and did that, that God would make everything great. And for them, getting there was back to their promised land. And doing that was all the religious things they failed at the first time. And this applies to us, I think, just the same. My guess is you have your own version of what getting there and doing that is. And that if we get there and we do that thing, if we arrive at this place or this job opportunity or this relationship or we finally stop doing that thing or we start doing this thing for God, then God will make everything in our life great and good and fabulous. And then if our expectations aren't met in our timing, keyword our, and we start to swing the pendulum and go, oh, God must not be in control. Or maybe God's not good. Or maybe God doesn't hear. When in reality, the issue is not with God. The issue is actually not with us either because we should want more. We should want what he designed for, what he died to save us from. The issue is with timing in our set of expectations and those being misaligned. The first pendulum swing that God's people kind of embraced or took was that they started to take all of these or make uh, crazy and ridiculous promises to God. Anytime you start making crazy and ridiculous promises to God about what you're going to do next or about what you're not going to do next, something's probably off because The Spirit does not lead us to our own faithfulness. The Spirit leads us to understand His faithfulness. The Spirit doesn't lead us to make promises of what we're going to do for God. The Spirit leads us to understand that His promises always come true in His timing and in His way. Have you ever gotten that cycle of making promises to God? God, if you just help me now, I will never do that thing again. Or God, right now, I really need you to show up. If you just help me in this moment, then I'll start doing that thing you've put on my heart that I've not yet done. I promise. Something we're really good at when it comes to promises, especially promises to God, is breaking them. That's why in the scriptures God says don't make promises, don't swear oaths, because you're not good at it. You're setting yourself up for failure. The second really significant and and really foolish pendulum swing that happens is that Ezra actually mandates like this mass set of divorces. He says, ah, in this time you've intermarried, which God actually said to do. There's kind of this uniqueness. So everybody get divorced right now. If you have this unhealthy thing going on, husbands and wives separate, mother and father, children separate. It's just like, if anything is not perfect according to God's design of the past, let's end it right now and start over. Because we have this glamorous vision of what could be as we return because of what God's doing in this moment. They had big expectations. And then, when God didn't meet those expectations right away in their timing, to the degree and in, in the way that they wanted him to, what did they do? They did the pendulum swing thing again. Except this time they went, oh, again, I guess God doesn't care. Or I guess God's not in control. Or maybe God doesn't hear. Or maybe God's not capable. Have you ever done that? When God doesn't meet your expectations, you wonder if God doesn't hear, doesn't care, isn't in control, isn't capable. Wrong expectations have a pretty damaging effect in our lives and they they certainly did uh, in the the lives of those around Ezra and Nehemiah. God's people, like us in our culture, have a habit of looking for quick fixes. We're all about quick fixes in our culture. If we can get a pill for something, we're way more apt to take the pill than to do the hard work that will probably last longer. Even in our our health, if there's just this magical pill to get us in shape, that sounds a lot better than eating healthy and working out. And there's many doctors and psychiatrists and physicians and ministers and all kinds of people that are willing to offer the supposed magic pill for whatever it is you want to be the quick fix. One of my my favorite authors is Edwin Friedman. He wrote a book called A Failure of Nerve that I think is... uh, just a phenomenal book. And it's in the context of counseling families, consulting for large organizations and leaders. And he writes about the immense problem of going from one quick fix to the next and, and how it really has a, a devastating nature. As I read this, kind of have a picture of, or the, the context of, our relationship with God and mine. He says this. The quick fix attitude, therefore, will affect their choice of physicians, therapists, ministers, and politicians as they are drawn to the snake oil of quick fix elixirs that masquerade as technical solutions. The quick fix mentality provides the ideal atmosphere for the proliferation of demogery and quacks, focused always on symptom relief rather than on fundamental change in the emotional processes that underlie their symptoms. The chronically anxious family will constantly seek saviors, then pressure the expert, whether medical, educational, therapeutic, legal, or political, for magical solutions. As we approach next year, hitting an election cycle, we'll be confronted with all kinds of magic pills of how the left or the right or whoever else it is can fix whatever's going on quickly with this offer or ideology. And our spirituality, we'll hear that a lot from spiritual leaders. If we just do that or do this, it'll change everything. And then all of a sudden when it's not, when our expectations aren't met, when the promises aren't delivered, we get upset. Compare that quote to what uh, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul was, in his own words, shipwrecked, robbed, beaten, beaten. Bitten by snakes, whipped, stoned, left for dead, all kinds of things. Like, he had at times a very miserable existence. Family and friends hated him. Rumors were spread about him. And yet, here's what we read about him in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Probably the most misused passage in the scriptures. I don't say this out of need, Paul says, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. Here's the most misused passage. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Not excellence in sports. This isn't the tattoo to get so you can just be like mighty and triumphant. This is Paul saying, sometimes life is awful. Sometimes God doesn't do what I want him to do. Sometimes life is filled with tears and brokenness and a lack of understanding. Why, God, would you do this? And Paul's saying, in that moment, I have the strength through Christ to endure because he's trustworthy. And in the best moments where something really good is happening, in that moment, maybe even more strength is needed to endure so that we don't make it about ourselves and think that we are God and capable and in control And we still look to trust him, not ourselves, even in the times that things are going well. Like the the people at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, I think we embrace their approach. We think if we get there and do that, whatever your get there is and whatever your do that is, God will make things great. And then when he doesn't, and our expectations aren't met, we start to swing the pendulum. We look from one thing to the next for a quick fix, the magic pill that will work, and it doesn't, and we just keep searching miserably. There's this tendency within us, like there was for all of the people throughout the scriptures, that if we can't be God, that's always our number one option, If we can't be God, we want God to be God. But we want God to be God on our terms and our timing and our way. This is something you've experienced. Have you actually ever sat and thought about what you expect from God? It's like in in my marriage, from time to time, we don't sit and talk about what we see, what we want, what we're pursuing, what our expectations are. There's going to be conflict. Have you ever actually stepped back and thought about what you expect from God? Because you have expectations of Jesus. They might be really low. You might not expect much from him, in which case they need to change because he's incredible. Or your, your expectations might not be too high, but they might just be misguided and in your own image instead of in his, in which case you're going to be disappointed and it won't be his fault At the the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, they had these rose-colored rear-view glasses they looked through. They looked at the, the past, and they wanted it desperately. And then they had also heard the words of their prophets, which would become true, that a Messiah would come and make everything right. And here's the biggest mistake that the people in Ezra and Nehemiah made. They misplaced which time they were in. They thought they were close to the future part where God would make all things right. And so when God didn't make all things right, they were really disappointed and thought God must be wrong. Similarly for us, you're going to hear in Christian circles all kinds of people get riled up and excited about end times and that we're there. By the way, if someone tells you that we're close or they know this or they know that, they're just fools. The scriptures themselves say this. That's not my words. Just don't get distracted. Because when we place ourselves in the wrong part of the timeline, our expectations are offset. We, like the people at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, are not at the beginning. And we're not yet at the end. Maybe that'll happen three days from now. If so, that's awesome. But we don't know that. We're still in the middle. what, What some people refer to as the now and the not yet, which I think is a helpful paradigm for us to set and to have healthy expectations. Now, Jesus has already lovingly sacrificed himself for us out of a love that is beyond our comprehension. Now, in, in this moment, Jesus has already triumphed victoriously over sin, over death, over Satan. Now in this moment, Jesus is alive and well and leading and just as powerful as ever. Yet, not yet has Jesus completely returned. Not yet has Jesus fully rid the world of evil and sin. Not yet has Jesus fully locked Satan away so that he will not deceive and destroy. Not yet are all the tears and sorrows and confusion and cancer and deceit eliminated from our world. It's coming and it's guaranteed but it is not yet where we are in the timeline and so how we should set our expectations and this is the mistake that the people at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah made and so we're blessed to be able to look back to learn is that we are in between we're in the now and the not yet in this middle space. What we're gonna see throughout our our time through the, the books, the writings of Ezra and Nehemiah, is a lot about God. Here's a few specific things that are really good news. God works miraculously for the benefit of his people even through foreign political powers. That's great news and that's good news that's true today too. God provides for his people in their times of need God strengthens his people with community and resilience. God stands by his people through brokenness. And God rebuilds what is broken and he restores it into something beautiful. This is all very good news and it's all fully true. But if we look at this list intently, there's some underlying truths within this that would help us have better, accurate expectations. If God works miraculously for the benefit of his people, even through ungodly political powers, that means we should expect and not be shocked when there are ungodly people in power. (laughs) If he provides for his people, that means that we should expect his people... Maybe us, maybe others of his people are lacking at times, are desperate, are in need of God to provide miraculously. And we shouldn't be shocked when that happens. He said it's going to happen. If he strengthens us with community and resilience, well, that means we should expect to be weary and exhausted and broken and not able to stand on our own strength, that we're going to have to depend on others and humble ourselves to not be in control and strong enough to do it on our own. If he stands by us through brokenness and he rebuilds what is broken into something beautiful, it means we should expect that things in our lives will be torn apart and they're not going to be the way God designed them to be. Now, one of two things is happening, probably, in your mind right now. That's either really bad news because I just blew up your little myth that God will make things great when we go there and do that, whatever your go there and do that is. Or it's really good news because hard things are happening. And this means that, or this doesn't mean that God doesn't care or that God isn't in control. He is. Jesus is the only person that we can trust always no matter the moment. That's our vision here. Everything we do as a church is to guide one another, to trust Jesus in all of those moments. And it's a lot easier to trust Jesus when we have accurate expectations that not everything is going to be great, that sometimes things are going to be really broken and difficult. And it goes in waves. Right now, many people within our church, maybe that you're sitting next to, are going through hard, broken seasons of all kinds of varieties of challenges. We should be praying and walking alongside of them lamenting and mourning with them and and some people are going through great seasons and we should celebrate with them and the the same book I referenced uh, A Failure of Nerve, Edwin Friedman makes this illustration about a mom who's terrified of her growing son getting hurt as he gets taller, whacking his head on tables or chairs or whatever furniture pieces that have sharp corners or edges that his head is just arising to the height of. And so as a solution, this mom places cushions and padding along every piece of furniture that her son might hit his head on. And it's effective. And then a friend walks into the house and sees all of the cushions and the padding and thinks that it looks ridiculous, because it does look ridiculous. Yet it's effective. Her son doesn't hurt his head. Except her son can't ever leave the house, because he's not been trained to watch where he walks. He's never walked and hit his head enough, or hit his head in a way that hurt, that he paid attention and learned something I think oftentimes we make this kind of foolish mistake as, as Christians, as we follow Jesus, and we think that Jesus has patted every corner for us. We think that we're never gonna smack our head on something, that life is never gonna hurt and be hard. And Jesus isn't like that mom. Jesus knows we're going to smack our head. He's told us that, and it's gonna hurt. Sometimes really bad. But what Jesus has promised is to always be there to pick us up and walk with us. That's the accurate set of expectations in the now and not yet. Not that things will be how they once were. Not that right now in this moment they're going to all be made good. One day they will be. Right now there's the reality that we're going to be dealt with a mixed bag. Sometimes it's beautiful. Sometimes it's broken. So we have what we have written on this wall. Broken stories becoming beautiful. Maybe we should add dot, dot, dot. We just don't know when. And in the meantime... We can just choose to trust him, even though that's challenging. What is your version of the, if you get there and do that, God will make everything great? So you probably have your version of that. Do you have accurate expectations? Maybe this week you should. Take three minutes. I honestly would not recommend any more time than that. If we give ourselves too much time, we're not honest with ourselves. But next time you're at a restaurant or sitting at a meal, grab a napkin and a pen and just, without thinking, write what your expectations of God are. They're there. You just probably haven't unearthed them. If you think too much, you'll lie about it. You'll make it seem better than it is. Be helpful to know so that we don't repeat mistakes. When I uh, taught a few weeks ago on sin. Uh, I closed out of Romans 6 and I'm going to actually close the same. I talked about how Paul writes that the proper response from us to our own sin is to offer all of our bodies to God. And the proper response for us as we look at healthy expectations through the broken moments and the beautiful moments is the same. It's to offer all of our bodies to to God, I want to read what Paul says and we'll close with this from Romans six twelve through 14. He says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of your body to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves, meaning all the parts of your body, to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law but under grace. The scriptures implore us to stand firm, to stand strong no matter what comes. Not to be incredible, not to do everything right, but to be steady. And the way that we do that is by having realistic expectations of where we are in the timeline and then offering all the parts of our body. That's why we spent time praying the way we did. So if you're in a really good season or you're in a devastating season, the response is actually the same. Jesus, what do you want me to see in this? Jesus, what do you want me to hear In this, Jesus, where do you want my feet to go? What door should I walk through? What door should I not? Jesus, why does my work matter? Jesus, what am I fearing and wanting? And is that what you want me to be aware of and to pursue? What God calls us to is just a simple steadiness to offer ourselves to Him and to let Him lead, come what may. My, my prayer as we start this series through Ezra and Nehemiah that the, the introduction, the starting place is for us to know where we are, to put away unrealistic expectations that don't come from Jesus so that we can trust him no matter what happens. And there's actually deep beauty and good news in that because he'll be faithful whatever happens. But it's really helpful if we're not shocked in the process. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are always good. I thank you that your love is beyond anything we can grasp. In the midst of people's triumphs and in the midst of just the hard moments and the questions and the challenges, may you overwhelm us with your love. God, we want to trust you. Help us to do so pray that you'd guide our expectations, that your your love would be so overwhelming in our lives that it would flow through to, to others as well. That like Paul, we could have this absurd strength to get through anything because of you. May you bring peace that only you can offer, endurance and guidance. We look to you now in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to our teaching of the week. We are so grateful to partner with you in sharing the love of Jesus in a world that really deeply longs for it. And whether you're new here, seeking more information, looking for a church community, or considering financial partnership, go ahead and visit restorationaz.org for more details. Okay. Let's continue making a difference together. So how do we do that? By remembering Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.